and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-acronym roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Did you know that we say that we're a roundtable and... I just had that thought. We were looking for a transition, <laughs> and there it is, right in our opening. <laughs> and here I wanted to talk about how the Green Knight is um, overperforming it's low expectations giving me <laughs> maybe maybe letting me hold on to my lead in the box office game maybe not you're gonna make seven more dollars we have not talked about the box office game in depth in a while so um i mean well hannah you're in the lead would you like to fill the listeners in i <laughs> by, by like one million dollars wayne and i are neck and neck mm-hmm um, but I'm I'm blowing all of you out of the water when it comes to Metacritic percentages. My <laughs> average is seventy six point six. Wayne's is fifty four point four. Hockey's is thirty eight point two, and uh-huh. Mavs is thirty point five. That's right, Fast and Furious, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like chaos walking. Chaos walking too. I, well, that one, yeah, that one, that 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 one was low. I mean, but I, I knew what I was doing when I picked. It's um game. The game is on though. Like I'm I'm excited you know after last year's well she's not here after last year's abysmal year where katya won um <laughs> like, like with I'm the, staying out of that well i mean i I'm, I'm happy for her but come on it was there were very extenuating circumstances and she knows that i mean the fact that it is well i mean, I mean like I mean, this year, but, we, but we knew yeah, going in like, this year yeah we i mean yes but i mean we we kind of thought things would like i remember um you know a couple of people saying oh like maybe it's just like by the time the vaccine gets out we need to start picking movies like then and then like things will like head back for normal yeah, but well. also no um, <laughs> it's the, the the extenuating circumstances are not over yet and right. I, I feel I mean I feel like like with some of these movies like Dune for example studios mm-hmm. are going to release those movies no matter how bad things get so long as movie theaters are still open to show them because they need to um, sure. in their minds but like also like I don't know I mean like Black Widow's like box office plummeted like as Delta like became more of a thing um so I'm enjoying watching numbers we have a game going and and even though I'm in last place I still I still think I've got a shot it's still close even I mean just across the board I was just looking at it are you're you're in last place right now but you're not that far behind I have 53 million out of out of the lead um which you know which is a lot but given the movies that I've got I mean like that could be picked that could be taken over easily by Top Gun Maverick, Ghostbusters, Spider-Man 3, any of those could do it. Um maybe not Jackass 4, but you know. <laughs> But like I've got, I've got, I, 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 I got a lot of Meta- shot. I expect the Metacritic score on that to be just phenomenal. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to make a bold prediction, which is if things continue to deteriorate, the first movie to get pushed back is going to be Spider-Man Three. Um, Jesus, of what well, we have left, of what yeah, we have left. That's, that's that's hard though, because I mean, like Spider-Man is the movie that you know it's hard to push because Sony doesn't like pushing movies. That's why I picked it. I actually, it, it, I, it was part of my calculus. Is like Sony hates pushing their films, and also because of the whole. Marvel Universe of it all. There's only there's only so much pushing they can do, and they've done most of it, right? Like, yeah, but Sony make- also doesn't care about the Marvel Universe in the same way that Disney cares. Sure, sure, but I I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's going to be really interesting. Um, but speaking of 
because this is um th- there was there was a movie released in the game this week and Hannah as of taping you've made well well we we don't know yet because the box office numbers haven't been released because yeah it'll be about two million dollars probably maybe <laughs> we I mean like you know it's an eighty nine percent Metacritic score which is in, on Metacritic a really fantastic score um mm-hmm. and also like Dev Patel just keeps need to ma- like needs to keep making the movies he's making um well, in my opinion movie? like what's the movie? Like, like, oh, green, let people know <laughs> the green the Green Knight I'm also talking about David. Copperfield, which I picked last year, which was oh, yeah. a little more joyous than the Green Knight. He needs to keep making classic English literature adaptations that play with the source material and come up with something wholly new and interesting while honoring the original story because that's what both of those movies do. I'm yeah. super into them. So so today we're having a, a pseudo-academic roundtable about roundtable. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So hint, yeah. hint that transition. So, yeah, three people, not quite enough to have a roundtable. So, you know, I brought somebody. I want to welcome a friend of mine, former um, cohort. Is that what you call it? Classmate? I don't know what you call it when you're in grad school. Jeff Stoyanoff. Hey, Jeff. Cohort. There you go. (laughs) Jeff is, um, Jeff was a classmate cohort of mine at uh, Duquesne University. Uh, Graduated a couple years ago, and you are now tenure track professor at uh, Penn State, you said? Penn State Altoona. So yeah, we're, yes, uh, we are one university geographically divided. Or that's the, that's the line they like to feed us when we uh, yeah. have orientation stuff. It's, it's a branch campus. Yeah, Penn State has well, and for I mean, and this is actually true of many state universities, but Penn State's huge. There's I mean, there's got to be twenty branches easily. I think twenty three, but I'm yeah. not. I, I'm, I'm, I probably should be quizzed on that at some point. <laughs> but yeah, they're all all over the state of Pennsylvania. There are there are many a Penn State, and you're at the Altoona branch, which isn't far from Mount Aloysius, where I work. Um, when when I work in person, um, which is you know, I'm I'm, I'm I'm at least enjoying being able to do that remotely for now. <laughs> so <laughs> makes my drive easier. Yes, <laughs> but Jeff, the reason I asked you along is because you are well, you are a medievalist, which means what? Well, it means I uh, I'm one of a, a group of academics that studies anything pretty much from 800 uh, through 1500, give or take, like you know, a couple decades. Um, it's it's a wide net. Um, it's like that, you know, that, that's in 1501. I can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, it's uh, it can be you know if you're looking at the Middle Ages like writ large, you can have a bunch of different languages, even dead languages like Latin. Uh, for me, you know, given uh, that I was in an English PhD program, my focus was the English Middle Ages, but particularly the later Middle Ages, which just so happens, uh, Gowan and the Green Knight would be a, a key poem in that mm-hmm. period. So you read books even older and dustier than Hannah does, because Hannah is <laughs> very into old books. Uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, there's Arthurian legends like made a comeback in the Victorian age. Like we had Tennyson, we had like uh, William Morris, Sarah, uh, there was a lot there. They seem to make yeah. a comeback every 20, 30 years. And it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, I, that's one of the things I do find fascinating about this. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Arthurian stuff. I've read tons of contemporary stuff as well as a lot of the classic stuff. And um, I, I've written on it myself. I, I just, I kind of find it fascinating that they keep being reinvented, reinterpreted uh, to, to maintain some relevance. Uh, I just, I, I kind of find that fascinating. 
every 20 and 30 years leading up to this week you mean yeah right yeah literally constantly yeah well and not not just uh like in the movies like i actually um just received a newly published anthology called sword stone table which i'll I'll read from the back from the vast lore surrounding king Arthur, camelot and the knights of the round table comes anthology of gender bent race bent lgbtqia plus inclusive retellings featuring you know like a lot of stories like everything from like things in like futuristic mexico city to like uh i read last night a coffee shop au featuring like elaine and lancelot and like mm-hmm. what would happen if they like met um in the you know in the modern day mm-hmm. while he's gained his coffee i neil gaiman had a, a short story a number of years ago in one of his collections where someone just was at a yard sale and bought the holy grail off some old lady's table and uh she she didn't mean to sell it because it, it fit perfectly on her mantle it balanced things so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so, so she wanted it back but you just you know, the fact that these images keep showing up and, and have some some level of resonance mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think it's it's arguable that it ever like i don't think it ever goes away i think it's i, I, I agree continually yeah. sort of just either part of the conversation or definitely part of the subtext of the conversation um and what's interesting uh hannah to what you were pointing out with with that collection you have is that uh a lot of the arthurian legends that we have including some of the maybe the most popular in English, like Mallory's Mort Arthur and even mm-hmm. Sir Gowan of the Green Knight. It's essentially what we would consider uh, from like modern parlance as fan fiction. Um, yes, it's yeah. all sort yeah. of like people writing their stories about these characters they really liked. Um, so, you know, back in the trying to think when I first found fan fiction, probably with Harry Potter, honestly, um, you know, people doing all these different ships, I think is the term they call it. (laughs) What do the kids say these days? (laughs) Right. But yeah, so I mean, like, I think, I think it's, uh, Sir Gowan Degree Night is essentially just like maybe the most popular fan fiction that you're forced to read in an English literature class. (laughs) (laughs) And just the way, a strong word. Yeah. (laughs) The the, the way that stuff all builds, you know, stuff that we now think as the canonical classic stuff, you know, like Tristan and his old story started out as a whole separate series of stories and somewhere along the lines like oh he's one of Arthur's knights right yep. yeah <laughs> and then and it just it, they just fit it in and that happened with a lot of those tales I mean like it's you know depending on like what you're reading some of the characters have widely different personalities like my yes full disclosure my favorite not, knight is actually Gawain um, okay. and I am deeply before this offended week. before that like, you know I mean, no, I mean yeah, yeah, like, no, not no, just because no, of the you're right, you're right yeah. Yeah, like always yeah. Um, like part of the reason I think is because I read this series as a kid I mentioned on the blog uh, by Gerald Morris which actually didn't finish so I was in college so I was like weeping over these children's books um, as, as like a senior um, mm. in college when I rediscovered them but Gerald Morris like wrote the series um, where Gawain is the main character and you know I, I mean between that and you know Gawain the Green Knight he he was always a character to me thinking about like what and, and the movie's true of this too like what is knighthood what is honor mm. like what does it mean to be a human um, to embrace those flaws whereas like some Knights Galahad, it's just like, please stop. Please don't let me read this. Um, I, 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 I'm going to insert something I was going to say for later. Something I read this morning, but just you bring it up, he's wildly different from one interpretation to another. Uh, comic series called Once in Future by Kieran Gillen, who you know, mm-hmm. the Wicked and Divine stuff. Uh, I just started volume three this morning, and on like page nine, the Green Knight shows up after seeing the movie yesterday. And you know, like I, in, in Once in Future, he's dealing with Arthurian stuff, but it's also dealing with just sort of myth in general. Um, and the 
idea of, and this spills over from Wicked and Divine, the idea of stories controlling people's lives and, and how to break free of them. And one of the female characters kind of assumes the role of Gawain in her interaction with the Green Knight. And the old lady who knows everything that's going on is like, well, that's actually a good, good role for you to take on because Gawain's pretty variable. It can go a lot of different directions. It's just sort of addressing the idea that this is not a set myth. It is open to lots and lots of interpretations. So, and so I read that an hour and a half ago. <laughs> so, that's neat. So Hannah, I guess a, a question I would have is like, how do you, how do you view Gowan in, in the, uh, the Mort Arthur? Cause I, I always read him as like a very unlikable character in that. Oh, text. Yeah. oh I hate, I just, I can't read Mallory. Um, <laughs> like I, so, um, I took to, um, King Arthur, classes at different times in college and it was uh i think i was pretty petulant in the first one to be honest because um we read a lot of the you know pro lancelot anti i'm not a fan of of lancelot (laughs) okay well i I found my people and i i was just (laughs) are you guys like he's a homewrecker what 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 do you know i just boring yeah yeah, why would you date dude why like i mean i get like here's part of my thing and here's the shameless self-promotion in in my arthurian novel available on amazon linked in the yeah, show notes yes um <laughs> lancelot was a later french addition to to the arthurian myths he was the the gaulish knight and of course the french knight has to be the perfect knight so i have issues with the whole perfection kind of thing anyway but you know, originally bedivere served a lot of those roles and a lot of the earliest romances it was bedivere who was involved with with guinevere and lancelot just kind of came in and usurped his place in the mythology and i you know i i wrote this book from the, the viewpoint of bedivere and kind of playing on that hey i'm here i've been here from the beginning i grew up with arthur he's my best friend and 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 i'm attracted to guinevere and who's this fucking french guy who comes in and takes all that away from me i was just gonna say that the, the the best the best rendition of lancelot is monty python's rendition of lancelot <laughs> like that that is 100 who lancelot is and, and yeah Wayne, you're 100 right like he's brought in from from the like the, the golf French side yeah. of things. And just there, there's the different portrayals of him. There just there seems to be this arrogance and this that that just is not uh, does not resonate with me. And once again, saying this within the context of there are a million different versions and depends on which one you read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I will I will give Lancelot one shout out, just one. And I can't believe I'm saying <laughs> this because I'm not a huge fan of John Steinbeck as an author ah, either. Right. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if anyone's read the Acts of yeah. King Arthur and his Noble Knights. Um, but I actually feel like um, Steinbeck's approach to Lancelot is actually the most readable I've ever um, encountered. And I'm also like super sorry that he didn't finish it. I mean, I know it, I just said I can't stand Mallory and um, <laughs> you might remember that um, that is kind of like the tradition that Steinbeck was inspired by. But I, I don't know. Despite all of my like, these are all the things I hate. It was mm-hmm. just working for me somehow. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I was just relieved to not yeah, be reading the yeah. Miss of Avalon anymore. Yeah, and, and that's it. In, and in writing the character, and I, I'm writing them when they're they're very young. I try to be fair to, to him. You know, like it's, it's very much it's first person from Bedivere's point of view and he's prejudiced against him but I'm trying to be fair and recognize that this is a point of view um, but anyway not, not to just keep talking about my book of this but you know, when I was writing it is when I was doing the most research and thinking the most about these characters and who they are and my interpretations of who they are so like then Wayne who is I guess everybody like who is your favorite like Arthurian knight and why uh, I I, and this says way too much about me I'm a fan of Tristan 
the the whole tragic romance thing is just right up my alley for personal reasons. I also I like the stories of Tristan where he is also a he he plays music. I like the idea and me being the the music fan. I I kind of like the idea of and this is very much my interpretation of Tristan, but I, I see this reflected in different stuff I read. Here's someone who should have been a bard, should have been a musician, but lived in an era where being a warrior was really his only option. So that idea of the the sensitive artist who finds himself in the role of a warrior and trying to find redemption in that through his romance and love uh, just trips all my triggers. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? That's that's a really tough question. I, I don't I don't know that I have one. Like I really I don't. My work, uh, full disclosure, like isn't isn't usually on Arthurian myth that much. I do have I do have the last four lines from the first fit of Gown of the Green Knight tattooed on my left forearm. Uh, which, which is why when you said when you said that when we talked before we recorded, you're like, well, that's not my specialty. I'm like, you have a tattoo. Yeah, on your arm. <laughs> like I just sat next to me at, um, at school. Um, we are our desks were right next to each other. One, which is so I, so like I knew that. I'm like, how can you not be into this? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Well, like that, that, that's like a long story and it, it was more to do with Aventor and a, and a concept for a dissertation that got thrown away. But, uh, <laughs> Gowan was what made me a medievalist. So I, I guess, okay. I guess I would have to say, I, even though I have a lot of problems with Gowan in Mallory, I, I might be with Hannah here. I think Gowan might be my favorite, uh, of, of the knights because they're just all equally reprehensible in their own ways. Yeah. And that's so it. Yeah. Yeah. None of them are perfect in, in morality, certainly. I grew fond of Bedivere in writing this because I, I came to picture him as just the forgotten, overlooked one. Um, and, and my heart goes out to the, the one who gets you know, replaced by all these other stories. So, I, I mean, I found that interesting because I don't know that I have a favorite either. I, I'm, I'm with Jeff. Um, you know, I like stories. Now, I'm traditionally really bad at picking favorites on anything. We've talked about yeah, that on this show yeah, before. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm horrible at it. Yeah, yeah um, same, same here, quite honestly. And, but like, things. you know, like I mean, if I find anybody interesting, I find I find like Mordred in- interesting because like <laughs> he's got a, he's got a story. You know, he's got like he's got the the most important story. I'd, I'd argue. I mean, is he, is he favorite? Like, do I want to hang out with him? No, I mean, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I but I find him interesting, like narrative just the the place that he occupies throughout the mythos but also you know i almost want to say like 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 k k pendragon yeah. you, got the, you got you got the most bum deal in the entire yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, it's yeah, like I'm, I'm actually the disney adaptation of the sword in the stone 4k yeah well, yeah but, but all of them i mean i think that's i think that's relatively um like my my understanding of arthurian legend is you know you, you just you devote your life to this one thing and then your punk ass kid little brother is just like like, oh, by the way, just yeah. magically, I'm going to take away your entire destiny and no one's going to give a fuck about you ever again. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so, yeah. well, so. I, I, meant, I meant that Kay is portrayed as like the worst person in the world. Oh, sure. The yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. that's just but which which is unfair because why, you know, like he, he's done nothing wrong. You know, up until I mean, Disney, they just made him a bully because you got to hate him for some reason. But that, yeah. no, that's not in the okay. because Yeah, because that's the trope, you know. Right. Right. Um, Hannah, you didn't. What about you? It was your question. Oh, God, oh, I, oh I, I sort of answer. It's going. Oh, it's going. Um, okay. but, but, but I will say that I in asking this question, I eliminated like a whole like bunch of options and characters because I asked about the knights and like there yeah. are so many interesting characters like Lynette is my favorite character, like overall. Okay. Um, I, I the thing I've always liked about some 
some of the Arthurian legends. Not not like snaky women in Tennyson, um, but like <laughs> oh, uh, you know, like, like <laughs> no, like like he describes them sure. as like serpentine and like temptresses, like the, mm-hmm. the the bad women. I like Lynette because she like takes her destiny and the destiny of her sister into her own hands to try and you know save her sister. Um, and um, she you know she she's very forceful and doesn't like just defer to some rando dude who claims greatness and she's like prove yourself she's not gonna take his word for it um so and there's like a lot of different interpretations of lynette of course as mm-hmm. there are with literally every character at one point in the book yeah. i'm reading the sword stone table like there's a lot of stories about elaine and at one point they're like well there's like seven elaines in Arthurian legends are they yeah. really yeah. <laughs> right right yeah i i find the 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 women of the Arthurian myths to be as essential as the knights uh so many of their stories revolve around the, the women in their life and and once again depending on what you read the the degree of um self-assertion they have this not the word i'm looking for but you know, the degree of, of importance and uh self-possession you know, obviously the mist of avalon is written very much from a, a feminist point of view and, and taking morgan who is typically seen as the one of the villains of the piece and very much putting her in the protagonist role and reinterpreting what that means and I, I like that approach a lot yeah I mean I guess when you think about it the whole the whole mythos comes uh, comes from the grain Arthur's mother like if, mm-hmm. if Uther Pendragon doesn't decide he's gonna go talk to his magician buddy Merlin and get all rapey on our hands here I mean none of the knights of the round table don't exist and that's one of the things that uh, when when I'm teaching either Mallory or any of these texts out of this tradition, it's always one of the sort of tough questions that that we don't like to deal with, but it's sort of all of this is rooted in some really shady bedroom antics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and then this, this is, you know, the, the, the shady bedroom antics like continue um, with like, you know, people being, you, you know, using love potions or potions that make them think that someone is someone else like Lancelot in some stories sleeps with Elaine because he thinks she's Guinevere mm-hmm. and the, the, um, the love, the love potion of Christian and his old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's an interesting, you know, sort of angle to, to like dwell on for a little bit because Arthurian legend is full of rape, but not even just rape in general, just bad people. And, it, you know, we've like, I think we have um, at least at the place in pop culture at which we place the Arthurian legends. I think it's mostly sword in the stone, right? Like that's probably mm. the big, the biggest vision that people have of them. And they are all oh, these regal um, wonderful of people. And I mean, it, it, but I, I just think of, you know, we, we consider King Arthur as a pop culture thing. You know, these aspirational stories that most people never read because just, pretty much yeah. everyone's awful. You know, yeah, that, they, well, we, we interpret them as romances. You know, we, we focus on the heroic aspect. That's one of the things I'm liking about Once in Future, the Kieran Gillen thing I was just referring to. And, you, and as you well know, I'm a big fan of classic stories and Arthurian romance, and I, I like the aspirational part of it. He takes that classic idea of, you know, in the time of, of Britain's greatest greatest need, that, that's not the phrase I'm looking for, in the time of you know, great Britain's great darkness, Arthur will return, you know, the once and future king. He will come back at the time of, of, Arthur, of Britain's greatest need in this time of darkness. And the premise of, of once and future is, what if Arthur coming back isn't to save us from this great darkness? What if him coming back, he is the great darkness? What if he is the evil that's coming back? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. And, and that just sets it completely on its head. How much yeah. is it based on on actual Once and Future King? Uh, not not a lot. It, it's it's very much it's aware of the world of stories. Okay. Uh, 
it, it, it references the different stories that exist and how people attempt to fulfill those roles, including these mythic figures who do appear in the story as magical beings, but they embody very different aspects of these myths. But it's, so it's not going in, it's not trying to no, tell a modern no. version of White's book at all then? No, not at all. Okay. What's, like, what's super interesting with, uh, with bringing up comics and, and graphic novels and such is I, I would I would make an argument like it's a, it's a pet theory I've had for a long time and I'm sure it's not original, but uh, that our sort of fascination with superheroes is essentially nice. The, the cover of, yeah. Justice, of All-Star Comics with Justice Society has them sitting around a round table in 1940. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's essentially the same thing. And, and when we're we just sort of re re um, packaged them sort of in a more modern setting. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think like um, we're talking about relationships with women, I, I'm always sort of drawn to Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. Okay. Um, and, and I think that that relationship is kind of in essence, almost every relationship of knights and their ladies in, in uh, Arthurian legend and, and sort of in all the chivalric romances where the knights kind of just do whatever they want. And it's the expectation that the lady mm-hmm. will be there waiting, waiting yeah. for them when they get back. Yeah, very much so. Also, I mean, depending on which incarnation you're talking about, uh, I mean, the movies very much present them as a, as a couple, as a, you know, um, they are there together, but like in the comics um, up until relative, well, up until basically the movies, but prior to uh, prior to that, traditionally Pepper is more, of a someone Tony loves from afar. We can never be together because of my secrets as Iron Man. And you know, she ends up with Happy originally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she ends up with his best friend, you know, very much a Lancelot Arthur kind of thing. Right. Um, and then then there's questions of do they have an affair and everything. It, there's there's a lot that goes into what that story is. But, you know, even then, Tony Stark is he's an he's an he's literal knight in armor and he is a very broken man with every every demon to fight that you can that you can think of throughout that's how he was that's how he's classically written you know, demon in a bottle is mm-hmm. is his most famous story in the comics so I, I think Jeff's right I mean I know there's many a paper written about um I've written one myself there's many, but there's many a paper written about um the connection of the classic Arthurian Knights to and and chivalric t- storytelling to modern mythology you know through Campbell to to superheroes so I mean that, that's definitely there and obviously these are the most popular movies in the world right now let's not forget star wars um star wars, yeah. Yeah. the medieval the medievalist i took uh arthurian class from was very into star wars and i think i think um that maybe something george lucas was trying to do in the prequels and it didn't work so well um was you know try and do the you know rot of camelot and the round table with the mm-hmm. jedi council yeah and and um well we all know how that went but you know it, like it's <laughs> It's there. Um, it fine. I like those movies. You're wrong. Young, young Anakin as as the Mordred, you know, the, yeah. the, the prophesized mm-hmm. one who comes in and destroys everything. But, you know, I, I am interested in the fact that we, we, we kind of got a little away from it, but um, talking about like the collateral damage of the original stories. And I, I, I think that like a lot of the new and I, I use the term new very loosely um, stories are, you know, thinking about this sort of collateral damage um you know even even you know th white 
is thinking about this um, in terms of war and, and his, his own time, uh, Swordstone Table, um, the stories I've read so far are thinking about how to rewrite this and, and bring commentary. Um, I think without saying spoilers, The Green Knight is about undoing some of the collateral damage that comes from like being a knight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I think that this is like something that like has like is something that like the modern day adaptations is, is really interesting. I maintain that you can spoil Green Knight. We've all seen it. And if the listeners haven't, they've had 600 years. It's <laughs> no. you've had you've had time. <laughs> the movie I plays don't. out exactly like like the legend. It, it, it doesn't, though, in some it's ways. Got, it, yeah, but um, but I think the movie's only well and spoiler alert. And this is why we were talking about a little about this before we went on the air. Um, the movie is doing very well for what it is. And, you know, so is it overperforming or underperforming? And that's kind of a question of what your expectations were, because it is doing extremely well for a thinky indie style film about, you know, deconstructing um, the Knights of the Round Table. However, everybody, I think like people sort of were thinking this would be like a medieval fantasy action picture. And it is not. It's, um, it's yeah it's really not it is very much not and like this is this is a this is a movie for nerds and yeah i liked it a lot yeah i liked it a lot a friend of mine described it as glacially paced and that might be speeding things up a bit um yeah it, it, it's slow moving it's a think piece uh it's beautiful it, it's kind of visually stunning there's a lot of big ideas in there but boy if you're going in expecting a whole lot of sword fights and and grand battles and that sort of thing don't go there's kind of there are a few there are a few I mean I, I would agree with Hannah that like there are some significant changes from the poems yeah. that are made here and like and they to like to Wayne to your point uh, it they add some fighting that doesn't even exist in the yeah, poems yeah, it's like, a King Arthur movie I'm expecting big fantasy yeah, battles you know? and, I, and I cannot as somebody who worked at a theater for 14 years I just want to point out please shut the yeah. fuck up when you're in a movie theater no one cares I, I I I saw it at a smaller independent they kind of knew what they were going getting in I couldn't tell. I sat, I sat on the le- on the balcony level above. Uh, Wayne knows how our AMC theater works. There are, you know, I sat literally on the level above VIP seating, so I was by myself. And when the there were certainly nobody around when the credits um, started rolling. So, I, but they, I don't know exactly when they left um, because the bottom the bottom level was was full of people who I think thought they they were going to see, you know, Excalibur. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. I think they, they thought we were going to see, and they did well, not. I, I, and and you mentioned the Excalibur. I, I think. Visually, I saw to me anyway. It seemed to reference Excalibur as a movie because it, it sure. didn't shy away from big symbolic mythic imagery. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they both did a lot of that. I mean, it's not Excalibur, but there were to me it felt like there were visual references to that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm, I'm just reading too much into that. But. Anna, you were going somewhere with this. <laughs> yeah, um, I have lost the track, but I, I, I got too excited about Jeff proclaiming that people should stop talking during the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what I, I think where I was going with this was that, you know, in terms of the Green Knight, like what's interesting about it and like what's interesting about, it, I think, some of the stories that we've talked about are our personal favorites is that the Arthurian legend is familiar, right? Like it, it's like a global story, even if it's geographically rooted in a place traditionally. And like, but but each sto- 
story becomes new in some ways and it's trying to say something different. So like, you know, like what what are what what holds Arthurian legend together? Like are there common themes? Like is it just the names of these characters and we just want to tell love triangle stories over and over again? I yeah, yeah, and that's interesting cuz I remember you know, however many years ago first night came out. And I, I went to see that with some friends and you know, we came away from it thinking, okay, that was a fine movie, but if they had named them King Bill and Queen Anne and mm-hmm. Sir Sir Justin, I'd have been fine with it. Other than their names, it had nothing to do with Arthurian. It just it didn't feel Arthurian to me in spite of swords and a round table and the names Lancelot. Well, so I mean, we, we've had this discussion before, Wayne. So you know, you'll you'll know, you'll remember me saying this. But for the listeners, I have this theory with movies in general. Like uh, one of my problems with um, with IP based movies is um, I always say um, it doesn't matter how much, how many years worth of comic books or Star Wars lore or whatever I have rolling around in my head. If I go to see a movie, how I decide whether or not I think it is a good movie or not, well, among other things, mm-hmm. is I always ask myself, will, would I be okay with this if this were the story of King Bill instead of the story of yeah. King Arthur, right? Like, right. I, like, right. like yeah. I actually like that. Do I need for this to be Luke Skywalker or related? You know, like, um, I liked, um, I really liked Rogue One because I was invested in those characters, whether or not I knew who they were. I didn't care for Solo because I didn't give a damn about anybody except for that I'm supposed to pretend he's Han Solo, right? That was that was my problem with it. Um, so I, I I think that you know if he if you can call him King Bill and the story still works, I think that's a good thing. Um, where I think that the caveat here is, um, I sort of I don't think the Green Knight works that well if you aren't aware of Arthurian legend. Because Jeff is right. Like, this is a movie that's about this is this is a movie about thinking about how we are deconstructing and reconstructing Arthurian legend. And we're not gonna I mean, I, I guess the story's there if you can follow it, but one of the things that I think is weirdest about it is I'm fairly certain that the film doesn't tell you that Gawain is Arthur's nephew. Um, it does, it does, it does. Yeah. It does, yeah. does it? Because yeah. I don't yeah. remember ever seeing it. at the beginning. Yeah. Arthur's okay. like, I'm sorry I didn't know you. Oh, okay, yeah. Because yeah. I was, I mean, cause I, by the time... I, I would have come back to that in a second, by the way. Well, yeah, because by the time, by the time, again, well, this is, this is a spoiler I have to tell. At the end, Arthur dies at one point, and Gawain inherits the kingdom, and for myself, I had to go oh yeah yeah they're related and then and because and, and i was like oh and, and then, then i'm going that's really really interesting and then i was thinking wait a minute did they tell because i because i didn't i didn't remember them making a big deal of it i'm like did they even did they ever mention that before am i just supposed to know that because i because i do know that but it, but it was but that was that was a weird thing for me so you're saying it is in there yeah yes it is i i just looked up on on IMDb just to, to follow some of the, the different actors in it. And what I find interesting, I this is true of the credits as well, is other than Gawain and and his young girlfriend, I forget the character's name. Esther. Yeah. Um they don't list any of the characters by name. It's the king. Yeah, the king, the hunter. The, the, um, the magician, the mother. Yeah, yeah. There's no like no no one um 
Oh, and I, and I was looking. I was looking it up because you know, depending on which version you read, Gawain's mother is Morgan or Morgaus, or you know, and it's like, oh, you know, not that it matters, but just for my own nerdery, which one is she supposed to be? It's like, oh, she's mother, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I find that an interesting choice. Well, I would say, like, so th- this goes back to him, to, to the, the question earlier about who it was our favorite character, and the reason Gowan is my favorite character is from this poem, Gowan and the Green Knight, because it's King Arthur's court is young. Like, this is a fan fiction prequel to mm-hmm. the Arthur yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that we have. So, like, I'm I'm super. That's exactly I'm what my super, novel is. <laughs> super annoyed with with the film portraying Arthur and Guinevere as ancient fuddy duddies yeah. because they're not. Like that's not at all how the poem goes. And I there's a lot of there's a lot of changes I completely understand in the movie, and I understand the artistic choices, and I understand you know you're not doing a faithful 14th century film version of the poem. I get it. <laughs> That changed. I just didn't get it other than for the spoiler sort of thing at the end, like when he goes through that whole uh, sequence of, you know, inheriting the kingdom and stuff. So, uh, yeah, like that's one of those things because Arthur's court is young and Arthur's petulant. Like that's part of of the whole game thing. And that's how the Green Knight sort of game begins in the original. So the, the changing here in, in the in the uh, in the movie is a little a little strange i love that jeff is well actually spider-man should have to a 600 year old poem that's <laughs> great I mean, I, but yes I thought of this too um also like not my goal uh, i mean don't you mean don't you mean garwin yeah garwin oh garwin God. um, garwin. <laughs> um that, for those of you who have not seen the movie um that is how king okay. arthur pronounces gawain's name even okay. though the it, it, it seems to be just a thing that the actor made up, according yeah. to an interview. Yeah, and, and when he pronounced it that way, it's like I—that's interesting because I, I, you know, I grew up hearing Gawain, and then over time, you Gawain is what is in my brain seems to be the most accurate. And I thought, okay, is that just an alternate pronunciation? I don't know. And then everybody else just called him Gawain. It's like, no, it's just this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he made a choice. Yeah, Acting yeah, but like, sure, but also, <laughs> I mean, uh, oh yeah, and come on, Maverick. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that like, yeah, I I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like we shouldn't spoil the green knight because it, it really, it's very, very different yeah. in the poem. It really is. And I think that it's worth like watching unspoiled, like, I mean, maybe it helps going in and knowing it's a thinky piece, but I think, I think it's worth like watching, like, well, that's a, that's a question. Like how I would love for people to see this, right. I would love for the people to see this movie. I enjoyed this movie. How much do you really need to know? Um, I know uh, uh, Josh, uh, Hannah's boyfriend, who's been on the show. He enjoyed it, even though you said he didn't. He didn't yeah. know them at the head of time, right? He did enjoy he, watching it, right? I think he like. I think he knew like the Wikipedia version, but he. Okay. He's, I don't think he's ever read the poem. Um, he said he like got the film, but there were like some questions about certain things. Okay. Or I, I think having read the poem, there, there's like something actually. 
having read the poem, I thought some things were going to happen that did not happen based yes. on like the symmetry of the poem. I won't say what. Um, I felt similar and I, that's fine. And uh, I also like, you know, I, I the reason why I think we should cut out the spoiler we previously said is like, I wasn't expecting that at all. And it was a huge surprise. Okay. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll make, it won't make sense I'll, without. But. I will go, I will go back and I will put in a spoiler warning. Um, I, um, um, but, <laughs> skip the next 30 seconds or something. But, I'll, put, I'll put it back. You know, like it's, it's, uh, it's just, it, it, I think it, it's one of those, fil- I think it's a film made for people with pre-knowledge of Arthurian legend and this poem. Um, I, I really do. I think, um, I think you can get away without knowing a lot. If yeah. you don't go in with expectations, like we've talked about earlier, like mm-hmm. you're about to go in and watch a Marvel Avengers film. Like if you're going in yeah. expecting action and like, what was the, the King Arthur movie with Clive Owen about 20 years ago now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you're not yeah. getting that. You're not going to have Kira Knightley shooting arrows and such. Like it's, it's slow. It's an A24 film. I mean, come on. Like if you, yeah. if you walk into that movie theater realizing it's produced by A24 and you're like, oh, this is going to be an action packed thriller. You're a moron. <laughs> I, I, I think it's totally like, I think you can watch it and understand it and it's totally fine. I think that it's just made for like an audience who wants to like break down like the symbols. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you can't understand it without having read the poem. I just think it's, it's primary audience is to talk to people who are nerds. It was a very specific specific kinds of nerds very, too. yeah very i i i, I me it's made for <laughs> yeah, right yeah the four i'm roasting myself four people on the show um, and, I, and a handful of our acquaintances and i i just i i really enjoyed it i i've never had the opportunity to teach an arthurian class and since it's not uh it's not in my you know i enjoy it i've taken classes um not in my specialty wheelhouse so unlike jeff i don't know that i ever will have an opportunity to to teach an arthurian class that said i actually think there is something very interesting of taking something like uh, the classic work, uh, the classic um, Godwin and the Green Knight by, you know, the Godwin poet, uh, author unknown, um, versus something like T.H. White's work versus Creation Detroit versus Tennyson versus um, something like this versus something like the movie Excalibur versus, uh, I'm trying to think of something, like Mage uh, or yeah. Camelot 3000, like the comic books that are, yeah, I, that I, are very loosely based in that world. I, I, I would love the. I would love to do an Arthur in the comics class. Right. And I love the idea of going through and taking this, um, this mythic story um, template that just um, basically exists um, because Arthurian legend is enough ubiquitous over the last millennium <laughs> that we can just, uh, <laughs> that we can literally, we can literally take it and dump it into a superhero world. We can dump it into this action pack world, or we can dump it into this stinky indie movie. Like that's, that's a thing that we can do. And I, uh, to me, that's kind of what makes it interesting. It's enough of a touchstone that, you know, in a perfect world, Spider-Man and Superman would become public domain and you could do it with those characters. But outside, but since we live in a world where those are going to be perpetually renewed copyrights forever, Arthurian legend is one of those things up there with basically Greek gods and Jesus that you can tell stories on. Like, mm-hmm. like that's, yeah. it, it's a very small, you know, like I'm trying to, I, I like, I like Shakespeare because I'm a nerd, but I don't think you can just, I, I think shy of uh, Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, I don't think most Shakespeare 
you can just kind of do this kind of story with if you if you make a think piece on on excuse um, me excuse me a lion king and hamlet would like to beg to differ well and and see there you go i i I don't think hamlet is is as accessible as this movie is i enjoy it or 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 more um like i don't think people know that lion king is based on hamlet i think uh, i think nerds like us do but i think that people who go in to watch lion king don't get that i think that people i think that like kids or you know or families or whatever I think that you don't necessarily like reflect on it. Whereas the purpose of the green Knight is to reflect on and think about the concept of, of Arthurian legend in this retelling in a way, you know, what does it mean to be a knight in a way that like, I don't think Lion King is that, um, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but to me, I see a, I see a very definite difference there. Um, like I would totally love to go see a modern, uh, um, I mean, I've actually seen this as a, as a stage play before, but I've seen people do, um, midsummer nights, dream but place it in well at the time the 20th century the 21st when i saw it, it was the 20th century like i've that's something that happens happens a lot you know take midsummer night's dream um i saw a production of uh when i was 14 i saw a production of um of the tempest starring patrick stewart um i got to meet patrick stewart um at oberlin college and that was fascinating because it's just people in like business suits it's, you know it's a shipwreck it's it, it's the original language but it's taking place in 1988 um because that was when i saw it right um, I'd love to see that, but I don't think that plays as well as doing it with Arthurian legend because I think it, um, I think it we requires have, knowledge. I mean, we think I have things like, I mean, I mean, really, it's a small movie, but we have things like Scotland, PA, where it's like Macbeth in a fast food joint and like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, like Bollywood adaptations that. of like Macbeth, like McCool. I mean, and then like, you know, Austin, I think is becoming like particularly ubiqui- ubiquitous. Um, you know, we have everything from, like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I also like, I don't know if I want to put Arthurian legend on like a pedestal um, without yeah. thinking about it more um i don't know yeah I would disagree with Mav. But like, I, I think that it's not as recognizable. Like, if you do Shakespeare, unless you actually carry over the same title of of the like of the the play to make the movie that that title, if that makes sense. Like, Scotland, PA. I mean, it's such a like a it's an awesome movie. Um, and I love that movie. I always show it when I teach Macbeth. Um, but like, unless you are a giant nerd, you you could probably watch that entire movie and have no idea it's referencing Macbeth. I've told people, like, grown up adult human beings in the in the 2020s <laughs> i've told people that you know lion king is based on hamlet and they go what where how do you see that like yeah. and to me it's obvious so but uh, but again i don't know like it, it's weird because it's hard for us to take off the english major brain at, at this point like yeah. how, how do how do well, real people think i'm yeah. not 100 percent sure there, there's also you know, arthurian tropes and ideas showing up in in movies that aren't necessarily adaptations yeah you know, i'm thinking uh the fisher king which the robin williams I mean, yeah william. the robin williams movie which you know certainly plays off of percival and the holy the search for the holy grail and all that stuff and you know, is it a retelling of the holy grail story kinda but it's it to me that it's a movie that uses those symbols in a contemporary way rather than just Here's my version of, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe that's a really slight difference that I'm not that I can't explain yeah. why I feel that way, um, well, but I, I, mean, but we, I do. Yeah. I mean, we also we also have like you know like big huge fantasy franchises like J.R.R. Tolkien, like mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings stuff, and also like not interested in talking about the show, but like this you know a Song of Ice and Fire like series, mm-hmm. which I, I said I've said this before. Like I like Jamie and Brienne's story because it, it is that meditation on like what makes a good knight and what is honor, and like I think yeah. it's directly back 
too in many yes. ways Arthurian legend. Um, yes. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Or but, Jedi Knight. I mean, yeah, like yeah. literally yeah. knights. You know? yeah, yeah, literally Jedi Knights. Um, I mean, the, like the, the wise old wizard. <laughs> I mean, like, and let us not forget. Uh, although maybe we should. Um, like you know things like you know Harry Potter. Like they like talk about Merlin and mm-hmm. that like legacy. Like you know, J.K. Rowling just really took a bunch of like British myth stuff and like classic novels and mashed them up and came up with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I mean, his Arthurian legend certainly has like well, I, yeah, the the two the two comic series that I referenced in in the blog. You both heard me talk about too much Camelot three thousand and Mage, which Mage came out a little bit after Camelot three thousand. But you know, the difference and Matt Wagner creative mates talked about this at the time. He was a big fan of Arthurian stuff and and he was planning on doing a you know, Arthurian story set in the present. And then Camelot 3000 came out and it, it, it just it didn't resonate with him and his thoughts and I liked it a lot at the time. It's it has it's problematic now. Um but I, I liked it yeah. a lot at the time. <laughs> yeah and, and that, that, like, sorry, that, that's a whole other, whole other conversation. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a, a like, it's got and I'm like I like it too but also I'm like yeah but I read it 30 20, yeah, years ago. <laughs> right, yeah. Um and and but it's problematic now but at the time it was kind of revolutionary but Matt Wagner's problem with it was to him it was just it's a retelling of the story in the future and he didn't see that it brought anything new to the story um, I disagree with that in places but I, I get his point it was just a retelling whereas with Mage he took the tropes and the concepts and the symbolism and tried to do something new with it so it, it's playing with the symbols and the, the archetypes uh, as opposed to simply retelling the story and I do see a difference in those two things. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, I think this, this maybe points back to uh, something Hannah mentioned earlier, like with the collection, sort of these ideas of recovery, uh, recuperation of like sort of, of retelling these stories from perspectives of like sort of the marginalized folks within them or, mm-hmm. or like recasting them. Like one of the most brilliant things we haven't mentioned yet, I don't think. Uh, is that you have uh, you've Dev Patel playing Gowan? Like yeah. it, mm-hmm. it's not just some like random you know white guy yeah. out of <laughs> yeah, uh, very like, obviously not white. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's like, not. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, so, and, and they took, it seems like uh, Lowry or whoever cast the, the film took pains to like make sure there were sort of people of color mm-hmm. and not just mm-hmm. random white people who looked like they were covered in filth, like the, right. the mud farming peasants yeah. in Monty Python um, throughout the film. And I think that's really important because something that, you know, the general public probably doesn't know is like the Middle Ages isn't some sort of white fantasy land that all the yeah. white supremacists of the world want to like sort of rehabilitate or, or sort of capture as their own time of purity like the far right in France <laughs> and the far right in this country like it's it was an incredibly multicultural cosmopolitan era um which is like another small beef I have with the film I do appreciate how dark it is but also like it sort of is perpetuating that myth of the dark ages and sort of the way in which it's shot at times and it's like it would not have been that dark anyway even in the the original stuff there was uh and I had to look it up to confirm it but Palamedes is a yeah. Saracen knight uh, yeah, is. Yeah, so yeah um so you know even in the original medieval stuff there were people of color in the Arthurian stories you're just yeah. you're saying yeah. not everybody looks like Sean Connery is what you're <laughs> Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and, and and Hannah brought up earlier how in the Victorian era, like there's a huge sort of um, like, like a, a renaissance, if you will, of this Arthurian stuff showing up. And what's interesting, and this is some work that uh, a colleague of mine who's a medievalist, uh, Court Whitaker, does is uh, looking at in 
in uh, New York, I think Harlem in particular, during the 19th century, how African-American communities actually like take on this chivalric sort of Arthurian language and 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 sort of the costuming. And, and they sort of really sort of have like a, essentially like a Renaissance fair, like what we would consider a Renaissance fair in uh, in moments and how that sort of is, becomes a small part of the Harlem Renaissance during during this era when they sort of take some of these mm. tropes and such. So just, you know, the, the I'm, I was really pleased sort of, I guess my in conclusion, <laughs> really pleased the movie wasn't just this whitewashing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I so like uh, medieval Twitter um, slash literary Twitter um, has been alive uh, this past week. And there I saw like there, someone, some news outlet had a headline about like, you know, English language franchise. And um, there's been a lot of people rightly so quibbling with uh you know the the ideas of you know king arthur legend being english language and like confined to a certain group of people which i think um until this moment we haven't really um blatantly said it but it, it's very clear that like you know it's not limited to english and it's certainly not limited to one continent or group of people mm-hmm. um and, and it, i mean you know the, the, i mean god i mean in in terms of like everything like the original gawain like that is a very queer poem <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, not not limited to much of Arthurian legend has questions of, <laughs> I mean, at least the way I read it. So yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's maybe that's one of the another you know uh, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, tune out for ten seconds. But like that's one of the moments in the film that I was really disappointed in because I was like, "There's if we're going to be revolutionary in a lot of things in this film, there was an opportunity there. And maybe I just wanted to see Dev Patel naked, you know. But whatever, um, <laughs> that, that we that we're not played out, you know. You got to again. We're still in a spoiler here. You got to kiss a, a kiss, I guess. Yeah, well, and Bertilak wasn't uh, he wasn't very attractive in my I M H O. There's far more in the poem too, like. it's the 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 poem is way gayer than the film chose to be i think i i went back to the gerald morris books um the kids books that i read and i like they retell the story of the green knight and i like as an adult reading this like knowing like you know how americans tended to be in the 90s i was like oh they kept like a lot of the original stuff including like the kiss exchange Mm -hmm. i i i thought nothing of it as a kid and now i'm like oh wow i i'm actually shocked um I do wonder. Positively, positively, but yeah, no, 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 that's all I was going to say. I'm positively shocked. Um, but nevertheless, well, so we're we're talking about the changes, which is um, sort of where what I was wondering before. If we say again, we're 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 harping on this one movie, and I don't I don't want it to just be about this movie. But my my argument before about like how I think that Arthurian legend lends itself well as a cultural touchstone that you don't have to explain much. This movie clearly doesn't explain a lot. It, 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 I think we all agree it presumes some familiarity with the material, um, perhaps even more than the. The average person but i think that um i wonder how much of um how, how much is that like a benefit of our uh, of of the arthur story wayne you were talking about the difference between mage and camelot 3000 right camelot 3000 is just arthur the arthurian legend retold the fact that it happens in the year 3000 is almost immaterial to the story it's his take on this right mm-hmm. um mage is entirely uh i am going to deal with the idea of what our 
Arthurian legend is. This is the the idea of being the Pendragon, the idea of being Merlin the Mage, the idea of being Hercules because he actually meets like other Arthurian, I mean, other non-Arthurian legends, right? Um, I would say, um, I would say a lot of T.H. White's Once and Future King is that, right? Like there's a lot of, why is Robin Hood here? Because I want to do interesting stuff. That's why, that's why. And, and, and so I think that this, this um, version, the Green Knight is, changes aside, it, it is their version of what they think the Green Knight story should be. You know, it is fairly faithful narratively. He's doing interesting stuff like sort of with meaning and and with minor changes that have huge ramifications though than I think he's doing with it's not like it's not like Mage where I'm just telling a, a, a different story inspired by King Arthur. Right. So I I just I don't want to say better, like what do we make of the idea that like I, I does Arthur just especially lend itself well to that? Because that's what I was really getting at. I think Arthur does this very well. I think Greek mythology does yeah. this very well. I think Christianity does this very well. I think that it's hard in America, at least, mm-hmm. to um, to assume that everybody has a strong enough association. You know, your average reader or viewer has a strong enough association with um, the Jewish religion or the Muslim religion or the Buddhist religion, the way that you can assume there's um, a following of Christianity. I think it's hard to assume that they have an understanding of Shakespeare outside of Romeo and Juliet the way that you can assume you know, they know well, Romeo I, and Juliet. So I, is, is Arthur just in that place? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip into shameless self-promotion again. The, my, my two books that deal with Arthurian stuff, they are they're those two things. One of them mm-hmm. is very definitely, I am telling the story of young King Arthur and how he meets Bedivere and Lancelot and Guinevere, etc, etc. This is my take on retelling the legends um, the which, stand which, by which me. a million people do. Yeah, and the other stand by me with Arthurian themes. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's contemporary. It's the idea of how do I, what did these symbols and tropes and themes look like in a modern setting? Mm-hmm. And I never, I never reference Arthur directly in King of Summer, uh, you know, but, and I well, like it's called King, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. But, but I never, you're right. But I, I never directly reference mm-hmm. the King Arthur myths in the narrative. Um, and I, I like to think that if you know nothing about that, you can just enjoy it as Stand By Me, uh, you know, just a, as a young coming of age fantasy adventure novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know the Arthurian stuff, there are tons of Easter eggs in there. Uh, right. And I, I don't think I just retold that story, but I definitely overtly played with the ideas and the tropes. Um, so it, it is those two things. And yeah, I, it's, it seems to be just so much part of our Western culture, you know, very specifically European based Western culture. It's just, it's so much a part of our storytelling. Those symbols are so deep into, and this gets into you know, Jungian archetypes and all that stuff, which is my other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I, once again, I mentioned in the blog how many books I've read by psychologists and psychotherapists uh, who use those images as therapeutic methods, as storytelling guides, as as these mythic tropes by which to understand human behavior. And you know, that that's a huge thread in Jungian psychology. And I do, I think there's, these things are just so embedded in the Western culture of storytelling that it's just there. We don't even think about it. We just kind of know the stuff because we've been exposed to it, whether we know it or not. Right, right. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I think that it's, there is something oddly unique about the Arthurian stuff because I, it's unlikely that most, there will be a lot of folks who will sort of get the Arthurian references who've never read anything 
or sharing mm-hmm. it yeah. um, at all. Whereas like, I think Mav, you, you pointed out like classical, like whether we're talking about the Odyssey or right. um, the Iliad, I, they're with like sort of the cutbacks to the humanities and in, in public education and, and then even higher ed now um, it's questionable or it's, it's getting more and more increasingly unlikely that folks uh, have read that. So mm-hmm. those references are sort of falling by the wayside. And yet, as Wayne's pointing out here for for whatever reason, and the Arthurian tropes seem to hang on in whatever sort of vestigial forms. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like a, you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about Jung and such, like a collective sub- unconscious sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I, there's, there's part of me that sort of looks to going back to the Marvel franchise. I think there's an interesting connection to be made even between uh, literacy in in our current like maybe not our generation but like the current uh you know 2021 that year um mm-hmm. with, with what is it gen gen z is that after millennials or yeah. whatever yeah. whatever right now um probably for the first time since the middle ages we have the least traditionally literate culture um where literacy in the, the sort of definition of literacy being able to read and write uh a lot of the communication that students are doing now isn't written it's it's oral or visual mm-hmm. yeah uh in which like gown of the green knight for sure would have been a poem that most folks would have encountered and by most folks let's what's interesting so it's sort of side note here is the poem exists in exactly one manuscript so we don't even know how well read it was in its own era uh it's highly likely that it's been read more since its initial production than it would have ever been read in its original sort of form but like let's just assume like for medieval literature in general that most of it was sort of an oral tradition where people would be with the way they would encounter text would be not reading it like we read a book but listening to like a story Mm -hmm. someone else would be reading it because if you have one copy of a manuscript because as it turns out manuscripts are really expensive to make um, which is like that another really cool moment in the film with uh, the library in, in the, in the yes. castle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like that would have been, that would have been extraordinary. Like that, that sort of library would have been just almost unheard of for a personal library mm-hmm. at any rate. Um, yeah. So like the way in which uh, the youth, the young folks, our students, you know, I say that as someone who teaches experience the world with sort of visual, verbal, oral, uh, oral would be more akin to an audience in the 14th century than anything between. Um, so it's just super mm-hmm. neat to think about Marvel, like in, in the way in which that uh that franchise has shifted to, to film um, and, and how that lore develops now sort of uh, parallel to how it developed in, in the comics, as Matthew pointed out earlier, especially like with Tony Stark yeah. and such. Um, but I think it's sort of form speaking, like as far as form goes, as far as genre goes, like it's, it's super neat to think of it that way. Like how, uh, so many of the traditions from like the Arthurian stuff and chivalry and chivalric and, and romances and such would would uh, have been experienced then is how we how most of the of the public experiences uh, culture, if you will, or like our version of literature now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there was you mentioned the library scene. There was a reference in that she's talking about she copies manuscripts and, and she says, and there are times I change them. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Yeah. So 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 yeah. There, 
there, there's that wonderful acknowledgement that these stories change over time, depending on who's telling it. I was going to say, and, and I, I guess like, you know, another thing to think about is some of the Arthurian legends that you brought up, Jeff, um, were like in French. Correct. Yeah, totally. So like the Arthurian legend has always like experiencing them. If you didn't read the language required translation. And that, you know, makes me think of like the current like global novel, like kind of market that we currently have and how many of the books we read or that other people read are are in translation like you know there's you, you'll see something on the back of a book and it's like mm. been translated into over 70 languages um, mm. well for me yeah. it also it also recalls the yeah, and when you mentioned this very briefly earlier but the arthurian the arthurian cinematic universe um for better for lack of a better phrase is a mishmash of many unrelated um properties that were just sort of glued in after the fact right the tristan mm. and his old stuff is like oh yeah and he happened to be an Arthurian knight, you know, cause you know, Lancelot was right. uh, sure he was, yeah, he, we'll just add that in there. Right. Like there's Merlin happens way after the fact right? we're, we're fairly certain. So, um, yeah, uh, Jeff, you can just say that. I think that in Valerie Friesel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, well, in, in what the, the first, the first, uh, reference to Arthur is the, the history of the Kings of England. And I'm blanking on who wrote that. Jeffrey Monmouth. Yeah, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Monmouth. And that's the first you mention of, of Arthur, and it's written as a history. And in that, Kay and Bedivere are mentioned. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. like they're, they're there from the beginning. But then, say, they both kind of get replaced by other knights who are coming in. Mm-hmm. And so that, be, but that becomes part of the legend in the exact same way as we can talk about the legend of Spider Man, right? Yeah. Like, like, and, and, and I'm, and I mean that I picked Spider Man or Superman because they're the ubiquitous two, right? then maybe throw in Batman and Wonder Woman but like the people with that kind of characters with that kind of that kind of market penetration mm-hmm. I mean I I think that you know you've got the Arthurian myth you've got the uh, Superman myth you've got yes yes Peter Parker is my favorite mm-hmm. superhero and Gawain is my favorite knight um, I guess I'm responding <laughs> to a text um, that we're not what we're actually saying but I, I mean I, I also think that we're forgetting a certain other English legend um, that maybe is not as popular as author right now, certainly, but everybody Robin knows Hood? who he is. Uh, yes, Robin Hood. Well, Robin yeah. Hood, but Robin Hood's part of the Arthurian legend, if you believe T.H. T- T- White. And, and, well, and, and I'm T.H. White. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, like, I mean, I, I feel like Robin Hood well, is poised to make a comeback in our current yeah. age. Well, and, I really. And, and, and archetypally speaking, mythically speaking, Robin Hood. Gawain, Green Knight, Green Man imagery. It, yeah, it, to, to me, that's all one thread. Well, you know, the world is, is green. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but but they don't. And that actually, there's that su- super cool ego sort of crit moment in throughout the Green Knight. But anyway, yeah. What's really super interesting about uh, Robin Hood, though, is from like a, a medieval lit perspective, is all of those tales are kind of just off to the side. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, they're they're very rarely anthologized. There is not like if you. Google or go on Amazon and look for different sort of anthologies or collections of medieval stuff. Um, Robin Hood is going to be the one that you find the least of like the actual like source text. And I'm not sure why that is. Like I know some folks who work in that area that are trying to get a collection put together, mm-hmm. but like, they're just, yeah, it's all, so there, there's like, there's a class thing there. Okay. And like, yes, yes. 
one of the things that we forget about with with our theory and legend is it's essentially like their version of the Jeff Bezoses of the world doing things, mm-hmm. riding penis rocket ships into space. Um, yeah. well, I, like, I, I, the I, average I, people couldn't do these things. Like yeah. you couldn't own a horse. A horse is super expensive. To be a knight, you have to have a horse. And like, that's not cheap as it turns out. That, that idea of Camelot, Camelot as an ideal, you know, which we, the romanticized version of Camelot is sort of that, that hope we have that government works and, and it's good and it's, it takes care of the people. And then the other side of the coin is Robin Hood is it doesn't. So we have to do these things. <laughs> you know, we've been speaking generally, but I think, I think some of those, again, modern day adaptations or commentaries like Brienne's chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire are all about the small folk mm-hmm. uh, and their perspective. Uh, I, I think that the Green Knight, again, without giving things away, does really like give you an opportunity. Like it, it certainly follows Gawain and his fox friend more than anyone else, perhaps. And we certainly like see his interactions with like ladies, but you know the character of Essel um, mm-hmm. and thinking about like her fate and like what is going to happen to her and mm-hmm. seeing those like scenes with like people who are not knights. Um, yeah. Are are very interesting. Um, something that you know, like I don't want to spoil. It. Like there, there are things that happen <laughs> that like I have not seen in another Arthurian legend. Um, mm-hmm. Adaptation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the those people he encounters in the woods are essentially the Robin Hood types, are the ones who are waylaying wealthy people and and taking their money. Yeah. So. so, so, but that last comment Hannah made, like when you're saying, I mean that that was to our very early point. You said that you have not seen in another Arthurian legend, but can this film be in, in enjoyed outside upon the level of and now let us you know contemplate and critique the you know the nature of narrative and you know like like that's it is we we've said it was thinking and we said everybody should watch it but why are we saying that is it because we like really thinky stuff and we want everybody to be like us or or can i can i suggest this film as an enjoyable watch to a regular person and i don't know if you have to be able to i mean you can um on multiple levels i think one you can sell it on watching deb patel um just he is pretty. I mean, yes, that. he's a very pretty um, manager. I mean, and, and, a, and a good actor. Um, yes. yeah. He he, yeah. he has all the he has all the virtues um, to make <laughs> a kind of joke. <laughs> yes, sure. um, and and all, I'm going to say my I guess if we're just going to go down this road, I'll just say my favorite parts of the movie uh, were Gawain and the fox, like their whole relationship. It touched my my sad little heart. And at the very end, there's a moment where he hugs his horse. <laughs> And it, it moved me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like, I, I liked a lot of other things, but, you know, I, I think, I, I mean, those those are not uh, selling points in terms of what you might expect with Oscarian legend, but, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that, like, you you can, like, choose how you want to watch a film and get a lot out. We've talked about this before. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, how, how like, how much brain power do you want to put into a thing? And what kind of oh. levels do you want to watch a thing on? Because, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of, like, dirty dancing, except not really at all, but, you know, in terms of, like, how you can choose how you want to watch it. I think I do not want to do another hour, but like I have so many questions with you saying that it's like Dirty Dancing. This film is. I I'm going to recommend doing another hour and on on Robin Hood. Uh, okay. I, 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 I think that, I was trying to sneak that in there. Yeah, and, 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 and I think Jeff, you should come back for that. So I, I would just say, like the film recommending the, and I would glad I'd be happy to come back for that. Thank you. But the uh, the film is beautiful. Like if mm-hmm. you like watching a movie just yes. to have like your yes. senses just completely yes. I mean like it's it's a trip I've, I've read some reviews where it describes it almost like you're on LSD or something and 
Um, I wouldn't know that from experience that I'm going to admit on, on a, a podcast <laughs> at any rate, but um, it is just visually stunning. And I think yes. it captures, yes. it captures the North English wilderness exceptionally well in a way that would have been really important for this poem, like the original, yeah. mm-hmm. but also in a way that resonates in, uh, you know, in, in an era where we are sort of facing climate change and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I really want to walk through those woods. Just stunning. Some of the artistic choices, like like not the color scheme, but like some of the like camera angles and like framing of the shots kind of reminded me of certain aspects of Midsommar um, to pick mm-hmm. like kind of a film that maybe some of our audience knows, um, which maybe relates to the LA do you think I, I wouldn't know um no one wants to admit things about their youth <laughs> have you no i don't know um i'm boring um i read tennyson in my youth and i i have my copy i have my copy and i i have found all I, i'm like just like looking at all the parts that i thought were particularly profound um i i, I like the juxtaposition like, of the sentences i'm boring i read tennyson in my youth <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say so. We've resolved nothing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> resolved nothing. I mean, it's, I think it's just hard to do like one hour episode on King Arthur because, yeah, like it's because there's a thousand years worth of uh, stuff to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could start a new Arthurian legend podcast. And try, but... I, no, not, uh, not it. I mean, I'll be a yeah. guest. But no. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, I mean, I always. Wait, wait, wait. Jokes. You mean. You mean your Excalibur podcast isn't about Arthurian legend? Yeah, um, more, m- not this much, but more so than you would think. Yeah, um, it's it, it's. I mean, it's very. Um, we, we we have talked about Arthurian legend on Gosh Golly Wow you several times because it's, you have to. And it's the origin of the character. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, more than you'd think, but less than it implies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was just gonna say, you know, as much as I joke, you know, in a perfect world, I'm on every podcast every week. And I believe it got order of, you know, when we record versus future versus dropping. I believe this week I am guesting on our friend TK's episode on the Marvel Universe. So I'm probably on there was an idea this week or maybe it's next week. Again, it's hard. Um, Like I've already recorded it in my past, but it's in your future. So I don't know. Um, but yes, in a perfect world, I'm on every podcast every week. I so don't really want to be. Yeah, I so cannot be on another podcast regularly. I'm I'm exhausted. Say the once and future Mav. Yeah. Oh God, that was um. We'll come back when we need him the most. (laughs) That was, I I believe, that was like actually like my um my like um my like signature at one point, like my email signature. I might have used it as as like a wrestling name you know the one that nobody got but, the ones that, uh, but anyway jeff thanks for joining us this has yes. been great thank you jeff. Thanks, so much. Thanks, yeah. thank you all for having me i really, I really had a great time yeah yeah um, and we would definitely i mean oh god you just so while we record we all we also you know we tend to have this chat going on where we discuss notes as we're going you just mentioned beowulf and yeah that's a whole nother discussion um so maybe that too but we should definitely have you back when we talk about robin hood apparently some thing we're gonna do so good yeah uh, <laughs> um, 
Jeff, anything you want to plug? Um, no, not really. I mean, go, go, go out and read some books, people. Like if you like, <laughs> if, if you liked this poem, um, you might also try reading another poem by the same author. Or if you liked that movie, try reading Pearl. It has nothing to do with Arthurian legend, but it's gorgeous. Oh, I don't know that. So maybe I will. <laughs> uh, Palindrome Hannah. Well, you know, I don't like to plug myself. So instead, if you think that Guinevere gets the short end of the stick, you should read William Morris's wonderful poem, The Defense of Guinevere, where she gets to talk and like give dudes the finger, verbally speaking, um, including Gawain, who deserves it. Um, so um, I think I think it's great. Um, you should read it. He he like has some interesting things to say. Okay. And Wayne. If you want to read more contemporary Arthurian stuff, I, I made some recommendations in the Call for Comments blog for, for this podcast. So check some of those out. Uh, you mentioned Guinevere. One of my favorites that I, I mentioned in the blog is a book called Fire Lord. And then there's a sequel to it called Guinevere that takes place after the fall of Camelot and, and what happens with her that was also just really, really good. Um, but if you want to read the best Arthurian thing ever, buy my book, Bedivere, The Right Hand of the King, uh, <laughs> on Amazon. Uh, and if you want to read the best, this uses Arthurian tropes in a contemporary setting book ever written, read King of Summer, which is also available for me on Amazon. <laughs> in, in, in Kindle and print format. I uh, just like the you're like the best of I, I, I love I, I love the, the humility that is um, yes, yes, yes. like I am being humble but I am the best <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook all of the places always at Chris Maverick you can follow the show all those same places at Vox Popcast you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we talk about whatever we're going to be talking about next week's Spoiler next next week. What, what is it, Hannah? It's narratology and ludology. I think, unless I got it, the episodes of the shows out of order, but I think. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, what makes games worthy of study? Yeah, it's a video game episode, so it's going to be uh, not just be, video games because I'm going to no, be on games. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, but yeah, definitely check out our blog. Find out what we're talking about next week. You can give us comments. You can sort of direct us on what you want to know about. You can pitch yourself as a guest on the show. You can pitch topics for us to discuss. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five star review. If you leave us a five star review and write something, don't just mark five stars, but like write a little something, something that makes us feel good. We'll probably read your comments on the air. And it's, it's always it's always good to hear and tweaks the algorithm, makes us more popular makes the show more popular and then the king will return in your time of need um if you if you write a five-star review that's how it works it's in the book trust me really (laughs) also it'd be great if you subscribe to our youtube channel youtube.com slash box podcast where you can see visual representations of this show as well as catch my other podcast gosh golly wow which is you know it's about a superhero team, but also with an Arthurian legend sort of connection. It's the book's about it's about the book Excalibur, which has like a lot of relationships to what we've talked about today. Um, um, though we tend to talk much more about, you know, lesbian wish fulfillment fantasy on, on, on that show. It's very odd. Um, check that out. But also available on our YouTube channel along with this show. So, you know, two podcasts for the price of one, which is free. It's what you want. <laughs> I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, Building Ever So More Epically and Playing Us Out. I'd once again like to thank you, Jeff, for joining us. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.